Remember, remember growing up, spending time with my dad. Uh, he's not a Christian to this day. He wasn't always the nicest of, of people. He would and still does give me crap for being a Christian. He used to mockingly tell me after he would say something really harsh or hurtful or mean, the truth will set you free. In other words, he would mockingly quote the few lines from this passage and uh, that would be his justification to say really whatever he wanted to say because in his words or <laughs> Jesus' words, he'd say, well, the truth will set you free. And I knew there was more to this text than just that. Than just an excuse for saying whatever you wanted to say. So, I always spend a lot of time thinking about this text. Never preached from this text. I wanted to pause speaking in Ruth since I knew about 70% of the people wouldn't be here. But he'd say that. He'd say, truth will set you free. Mocking me at the same time, excusing whatever meanness that he was uttering to me in that same moment. So this has always been a text I, that I've, I've had in the back of my mind. And I, I knew when he would say that, that there was more to the text than just that. But I, I didn't know. You know, this is one of those passages that's quoted a lot by people who aren't Christians, kind of like this text and, and the Matthew 7 text, the, the judge not text. Non-Christians love to pull these out and just, you know, just the talking points without actually, I mean, they don't really care what the rest of the verse says. They just grab it, take it, throw it out, and, and, and shape it however they want to shape it in order to say whatever they want to say. And so oftentimes when these passages and these texts are, are brought up, there's a lot of hostility that rides between the words. And to be fair, Jesus has been experiencing lots of hostility up to this point. Lots of hostility. And yet there were some that were a little bit more open. So, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's speaking to these people who believe in him, and yet... If you keep reading the story, it becomes very clear that they believe, but they don't believe in a saving way. They believe, and yet they don't believe. They believe, but not in a saving way, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? You can believe and still go to hell. Whew. Makes a lot of nominal Christians kind of worried at that point. You can 
believe and, and, and not be a Christian? Yep. Yeah, they believe, these, these Jews that, that Jesus is talking to, they believe, but yet they are not at all ready to let go of their love affair with the world. This is a very dangerous place to be for a lot of so-called Christians. They believe, but not in a saving way. So Jesus, he, he, he wants to make sure they get it. If you abide in me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, free from what? Well, there's my dad, we're sitting in the truck, and he's telling me the truth will set you free. He never answered that question, free from what? We're set free from something, but what, what is that thing that we're set free from? That, well, that deserves an answer. The answer is several different things. In the context here, I'll give you the answer, it's sin. But there's layers and layers of answers. I think John Piper has a book, uh, 50 Things That the Cross Did. See, mostly when we think about what Jesus did on the cross, we think, oh, we get to go to heaven. (laughs) If that's all you think about the cross, your view of God is way too small. Because it did a whole lot more than just that. What are we set free from? Well, first of all, and I'll I'll give you just a couple. We're free from the bondage, falsehood of Satan. It's a verse I quote a lot. 2 Corinthians 4.4 The God of this world, that's Satan, the God of this world has blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Keep them from seeing. What? Seeing what? Seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't see that. See, when Jesus saves us, we're set free from the the bondage of this falsehood. I think C.S. Lewis has one of the best examples. I've used it dozens of times here at Lynchburg City Church. He says, the world, the world is like kids in the ghetto, playing in the mud, making mud, and they have no idea what it means to take a holiday out at sea. It's like, hey, and there they are. They're like, hey, what's up? Hey, there's a cruise ship over there. You You want to get on that? No, I'm, I'm really good. You, look at all this nice mud I've got. You joking? No, no, no. Look at this mud. Oh, there's a cruise ship. Cru- what? Huh? No, no, I got this mud here. If you're a Christian and you've been set free, at one point in your life, that was your state. Bondage to that, Right? The God of the world has blinded their hearts and their minds to keep them from seeing the light, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The light, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so when the world looks at Jesus, it's just a stained glass window. It's just, it's just something, right? Just, just, just a dude. I talked to a guy today, a soldier who, who is going to basic training and uh, he's going to become a U.S. citizen, and he's from China. He's been coming to my chapel services for like months since the spring, and uh, God's just been working on his life. 
And I asked him, I said, when was the first time you ever heard about Jesus? He's like, well, I heard his name when I was in China, but it wasn't until I got here. He's like, actually, some Mormons first told me about him. Like, that was my first encounter. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And then I found out that they believe weird things. And it's like, okay. Um, See, when Jesus sets us free, we're, we're free from that bondage, from that, that spiritual blindness where we're sitting there like little kids in the ghetto playing with mud pies and we think that this is as good as it gets and we're like, cruise ship? No, cruise ship. And then we're set free and we're like, there's a cruise ship there. What am I doing in the mud? They'll be set free. Truth will set you free, Joe, my dad used to say. Oh, if he knew the answer to what he was saying. Set free from bondage to the falsehood of Satan, the God of the world, who's blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelievers. We're also f- set free from condemnation. And this is even something I think as, as believers, this can be a constant battle. You do something that dishonors God, and it, it feels like, you're condemned. It feels like you, you can't, it's like you want to be close to God and like, you're like, oh, he's not going to listen to me right now. I want to open his word, but I can't open his word right now. I want to be with the people of God, but I can't be with the people of God right now because I've got all this stuff between me and God. I can't have his forgiveness right now. That's not true. Or have you not heard that it was said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When we're set free, we're set free from the bondage of this falsehood, this this almost false reality from, from Satan. We're set free from condemnation. See, God is a just God who must punish sin. He must punish sin. See, we don't have a self-esteem problem like the world would tell you. We have a sin problem. That's the issue. And so when he looks at us, he sees us as that debt being paid because his son did what only his son Jesus could do. Lived the life we could not live, died the death we should have died, paid the price we could not afford to pay. So when he looks at us, we don't stand condemned before an all-holy, and all-righteous God. We stand forgiven. We don't stand condemned. We're set free. We're set free from judgment. I'll read you a verse to illustrate what I mean by that. John chapter 5, 24. John 5, 24. I'll I'll read it. Truly, truly. Usually when he says truly, truly, he's about to say something really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. He has eternal life. Not, not will have. You do have if you've been set free. It's not, it's not something you're, you're going to have in the future. You already have it in the here and the now. You're free from judgment. You're free from spiritual ignorance. I'll illustrate that with another passage from the evangelist. John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. 
Here's another example of what, it, what does it mean to be set free? Truth will set you free. Free from what? From spiritual ignorance. Again, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. One of these I am statements. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're set free from spiritual ignorance or we're set free from, I don't know, being dumb, being stupid. I saw an article on Facebook that a guy that I met in the airplane coming back from the National Training Center out at Fort Irwin, California, it shared, and I had no idea what he was ranting about. And then I saw the headline of the article. It said, unwed, unwed, female pastor, pregnant, refuses to step down. Unwed, female pastor, pregnant, refuses to step down. Now there's all types of, there's a lot of problems with that headline. There's, there's more than just one problem. There's layers and layers of problems with that, with that headline. Female pastor, unwed, pregnant, refuses to step down. When, when Jesus sets us free, he sets us free from spiritual ignorance. I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. We're set free from spiritual death. Every single one of us in here is going to die at some point. Some of us sooner. Some of us later. I don't know when. I think it's fair to say within a hundred years, every single person in this room will be dead. Let that reality sink in for a moment. I don't think we think about death as often as we should. We don't. We should probably be thinking about death a lot more. The world doesn't think about death a whole lot, right? It's more the here, the now, the moment. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. Don't want to think about that because when you start thinking about that, wow, I gotta maybe reevaluate some things in my life. Now that I'm thinking about death. Look at John 8:51. I'm just gonna read it right here. Another example of what we're set free from. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now we know that we all die. This is something very similar to what he says in the eleventh chapter of John with Lazarus, but for those who have been set free, for those who have been set free, death is honestly the best thing that can happen to us if you believe the Bible. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Die is gain? Die is not gain! Who says that? No one talks like that. Paul does. And the world scratches their head and they say, I'm trying to make some sense of that. Right? How, how is that, that gain? And he knows it's gain because he knows if he dies, he gets to be with Jesus, right? It's gain because he gets more Jesus. That's it. And of course, finally, we're set free in this context from sin. We're set free from sin. I think this is best illustrated 
by the Apostle Paul in the sixth chapter of Romans. I'm going to read two verses to illustrate this. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. The truth will set you free. Free from what? Have you not heard that it was said, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness? When, when he sets us free, we're free from sin. Furthermore, he says in verse 22 of chapter 6 of Romans, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. It's not just he dies on the cross, you get to go to heaven. It's you're set free. Free from sin. You see, all the non-Christian does is sin. Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. He says, the mind that is set on the flesh, and that's the mind of every unbeliever. If you're a Christian here, if you've been set free, that used to be your mind. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It is unable to submit to God's law. See, in the context here, we're going to be, we're going to see how he's talking about being set free from sin. Yes, we're tempted. Yes, we, we fall. We make mistakes. We have a great intercessor, a great high priest, Hebrews tells us. 1 John 1, 9 brings this home even further. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the good news. But the other good news is that as a Christian who's been set free, we don't have to sin. We choose to sin, but we don't have to. One of the new covenant promises, if you read Ezekiel 36, 27, 28, is that he will replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh and actually cause us to obey him. It's like, that doesn't sound right. Read it. He'll actually cause us to obey him. That's part of the new covenant promise. Sin is no longer an option. We're no longer a slave to sin. We've been set free. Oh, that as you're hearing this, even for those of you who have been set free, that you might have a a larger, more spectacular view of God. So you're set free. Let's let's break this down. He says, so, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in the truth, or if you abide in my word, excuse me, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So abiding in the word means those are true disciples. True disciples, they abide in the word. That is, they remain in the word. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. So if this, then this. And if you're my disciples, you will know the truth. You know the truth because you're abiding in the word. Uh, you see that flowing? I have like a, I'm talking like I'm seeing the words. I'm writing them right here. If you abide in the truth, you're actually a true disciple. And if you're a disciple... You're going to know the truth. And if you know the truth, then you're going to be set free. So, here brings up the next question. We already talked a couple examples of being set free. Then it would stand to reason if being set free is so important, then knowing the truth should also be important. Knowing the truth is very important. And yet we live in a very... A post-modern society in which truth is, I guess, no. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Truth is relative. Truth is, something might be true, right? Abortion, right or wrong? Well, it depends. Murder, right or wrong? Well, it depends. LGBT issues, right or wrong? It depends. 
Infidelity. Yeah, it depends. Premarital sex. Ah, it depends. It's whatever, whatever, whatever's true for you. You know, it's it's like where where you're, you're playing the game of life, except there's no rule book. You just you just make it up as you go. See, the noblest virtue within the postmodern society that we live in today, the noblest virtue is tolerance, especially when it comes to morality. Therefore, when when you impose your values and you tell someone that's wrong, that is seen as one of the most offensive things you can do. Postmodernism, this relativism, it makes Christianity perhaps the most intolerable thing, intolerable belief. So may we wrap our minds around this truth. I think I told you guys the story when I always tell my soldiers, something isn't true because the pastor says it's true. You guys see what's right here on my uniform? There's a little insignia. Can you see that? Can you, can you guys see that? Right, yeah, I got a, got a cross here. This is an this is a identifier. This is what army chaplains wear. Um, they'll, wear they'll wear a cross, the tablets, if they're, if they're a Jewish chaplain. Uh, the Ten Commandments, they wear the tablets, or they'll wear um, a crescent moon if they're an Islamic uh, chaplain, or they will wear a wheel here if they're a Buddhist chaplain. Those are the only four designators. I tell people all the time, I tell my soldiers say, don't buy into something just because someone says it. I, I've met plenty of so-called Christian chaplains who wear this who aren't Christians at all. And I told you the story this summer when I was at Fort Knox with the young woman who was on her way to getting a cross on her uniform. And it became very clear through our conversation. As she told me there were, as she talked, it became very clear that she was not a Christian at all when she started bringing up different issues, which were clearly a sin, and she just made excuses for it. I confronted her with 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I confronted her with Romans 1, 20. 4 to 26, and she said, oh, no, 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 you just have to understand the Bible in its, its whole context. I mean, you remember the story? I said, well, what's the whole context? She said that God is love, and that the Bible is a sexist, racist book. And then she went on to tell me that there was no such thing as absolute truth. And I asked her if that was an absolute statement, and that did not go over well. <laughs> I had to say something, right? If I truly believe what I said, I said, I said, if there's no absolute truth, then how do you decide what parts of this that you like and what parts that you don't like? She says, well, that's just up to the individual. A lot of that today, a lot of that in today's world, is Jesus the only way? Is he, is he the only way? He says that he's the only way. Is that true? 85% of Christians... Let me leave those air quotes nice and big. 85% of Christians, according to a 2005 Newsweek article, says, no, he's not the only way. 91% of Catholics. I don't know any more of the study than just the numbers I cited to you, and that was a Newsweek article conducted in 2005. But, but the point is, is whatever the number is, it's high. So, so what is truth? Because the truth is going to set you free. What is it? You've got to answer that question. And thankfully, someone much smarter than me, who lived, who died, who was buried, who rose from the, the dead, answered that question. And in, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he's in the garden. He says, Father, as he's praying before his crucifixion, he says, Father, this is John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And yet for many of us, 
This takes a back seat, right? Throw this in the back seat. And we determine what truth is based on how we feel or what we think it should or should not be. And that's a problem. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. See, so, so true disciples abide and remain in the word. And true disciples, because they abide and remain in the word, they know the truth. And because they know the truth, they're set free. They are set free. Who wouldn't want to be set free? Who wouldn't want to be set free? You, know, you scratch your head sometimes. Like you give somebody the option, you want to be a slave, you want to be free. You have to be a moron to say, I want to be a slave. And yet millions of people all over this planet are deceived. And they think they, think they are free, and yet they're not. They answered him and said, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it, Jesus, that you say you will become free? Don't you know? Abraham's our ancestor. So they, they, they place their bets, they place their wagers, they hinge everything on the fact that Abraham is their ancestor. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, now they know, you know history, they've been enslaved to the Egyptians, they've been enslaved to the to the the Medes, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Romans. So they're tracking with them. Yeah, politically they've been saved, but spiritually, no, not at all. And unfortunately, they're placing their wagers, they're placing their confidence in the wrong thing. And Paul later writes, Don't you know that not all who are descendants from Abraham belong to Abraham? They're confident, but they're confident in sinking sand. And I hear it all the time when I share the gospel with people. No, I'm good. I'm good. Gee, no, I'm, I'm good. Why are you good? You're, you're, you're not good. You're a slave. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not using that exact language, but I'm paraphrasing it because honestly, their response here is the exact same response that I hear all the time, just slightly different words. Well, I'm a really good person, Joe. I'm good because that's just who he is. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He'll forgive me. We'll work things out. Or uh, my parents are Christians, or I was baptized, or I was sprinkled, or I was, I don't know, whatever they come up with. That's the same, the same thing, right? They're, they're placing their hope, their confidence in sinking sand. We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How, how is it that you say that, Jesus? So Jesus explains a little bit further. Verse 34, he says, Jesus answered them, he says, truly, truly. When he says truly, truly, he's about to say something really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, everyone who commits sin, is a slave to sin. Everyone who commits sin or practices sin is a slave to sin. And here, sin is seen as, as a life principle. 
Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. If, if you're here today and you've been set free, this used to be your old self. The slave of sin. And when you're a slave, you're totally under the control of another. Utterly unable to free yourself. Slaves don't just say, huh, I'm not going to be a slave anymore today. That doesn't happen. Slaves don't do that. That, that, that does not happen. Just like someone who's, who's blind doesn't say, you know what? I think I'm going to see today. Oh, there it is. They can't do that. Slaves don't just walk off. Slaves are totally under the control and mastered by another. And that is our identity before we're set free. Everyone who commits sin or practices sin is a slave to sin. And that might make some of you a little nervous. It's like, but I, I do sin. And, and I think there's, there's a big difference here. Because the, the word practices sin is being used in the present tense. In other words, all they do is sin. All they do is sin. As, as a non-Christian, all, all they do is, is sin. You say, that's, uh, that's a little far-fetching. This gets into what is known as the doctrine of total depravity. See, unsaved people who haven't been set free, they can do outwardly good things. They can do outwardly good things. But they're not motivated by their faith. They're not motivated by their Creator. Someone can build a hospital. That's, that's a good thing. But for the unsaved person, still sin. Say, no, Joe. Oh, Joe, what? Have you not heard, as Romans says, Romans 14, 23, anything apart from faith is sin? Or as Samuel tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance. You build a hospital, good for you. But God looks at the heart. God knows our deepest motives. Cain and Abel both brought offerings to God. One had right motives, the other had bad motives. So the one who practices sin is a slave to sin. And I always, because some people panic, they're like, maybe that's me. Maybe I haven't been set free because I sinned this week. Let me just clarify this, okay? I think there's, there's a difference between sinning and the present tense of this word being used here, making a practice of sinning. Where sin is their life principle. Like there's a difference, and I'll use sexual sin because that's just most common. There's a difference between the guy who says, I messed up with my girlfriend, and I don't want to do that, but we messed up again. And the guy who says, or the guy in this example who makes a practice of sinning, who says, screw it. There, there's a big difference there between those two people, one that's been set free and one who, by all indications, doesn't look like they've been set free at all. And of course, Jesus says some really tough things to them. They're slaves. They're slaves. They are totally under the control of another, utterly unable to free themselves. And the, the worst part about it is they're deceived about being slaves and content with the current status quo. Like Lewis says, they're like kids. I just think of a kid like taking a knee or sitting down. That's why I took a knee. They're like kids in the ghetto making mud pies. And they have no idea what it means to take a holiday out at sea. 
They're far too easily pleased. And they're deceived. You want to go take the, the, get on the cruise ship? No, I'm good here. I'm good. With all the pleasures that the world offers and brings to me, I'm good. I'm totally good. I got my mud. I'm happy with my mud. That they are content with the state that they are in. And they don't see themselves as slaves. Just like when I, I tell people the gospel, they're like, no, I'm good. I'm a good person. Jesus is a forgiving God. He'll understand. We'll work things out. Or they'll tell me they were baptized or sprinkled or Methodist or Southern Baptist or whatever it is for their, their rationale for why, as they try to convince me, why they are not enslaved. Well, of course, Jesus tells the Jews here that, no, you are. And, and that doesn't go over well. They get really upset um, as you keep reading. Because they don't, they, don't, they don't want to be told that they're wrong. The fact is, is that only Jesus can rescue us from this state. So Jesus, building on this slavery analogy, this illustration, he says this. In, in the closing verses of our passage today, in verse 35, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Slaves? Slaves don't get to stay in the house because they're slaves. They don't have that right. What? This is incredibly offensive to these people right now. They've already told them that they, they are sons of Abraham. They, they are confident in their spirituality. Not that They are self-assured of their state because they're sons of Abraham. But now, he calls them. He says, no, you're actually slaves. And he's, he goes on to tell them, you're actually sons of your father, Satan. For a slave has no permanent place in the house. He has no right to be in the house because he's a slave. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son, that is Christ, the son, he remains forever. He and he alone has that right. He and he alone has that privilege to stay in the house. The slaves don't. This is very awkward and confrontational and upsetting for the people he's, he's saying this to. They're highly offended. When you keep reading the story, they're, they're highly offended. But he's getting at the, the point of this story. They have placed their hope, their confidence, their whole assurance in sinking sand. To think that they're going to have a right standing before God? They can't have a right standing before God because they're still slaves and they need to be set free. And this has serious implications for us today. Think, what, what are the implications of being set free? Here are some implications. It goes back to Jesus' premise in verse 31. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If, if, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. If this, then you're truly my disciples. And if you're truly my disciples, true disciples abide and remain in the word. And because they abide and remain in the word, they know the truth. And because they know the truth, they're set free. I'm talking to, to Zhu, my Chinese buddy today. He's just telling me how his life is just 
radically changed in the, in the last nine months. And, and by the way, he didn't say any type of prayer. <laughs> Imagine that, right? His life changed and he never even said a prayer. He never, he never asked Jesus to come into his heart or anything like that. He says, my life has just changed. He's like, I used to go out to the bars and pick up girls. He's like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I just started reading my Bible because I want to learn about God. That's, that's it. <laughs> wow! That's amazing! How does it happen, Jesus? Jesus is the only one that can rescue us from the slavery. Slaves can't just make themselves free. Only Jesus can make slaves free. Let me be really clear here. And I'm sure I'll offend people. But that's okay. Because I don't care. I care, but I care more about what's true. When it comes to freedom, many people, especially Christians, they, they, they view freedom, I think, incorrectly or, or lack of uh, priority. When it comes to true freedom, tr- true freedom is not found in a political system. True freedom is not found in making America great again. It's not. And I don't care who you voted for. It's not found in making America great again. It's not found in one political candidate or another. True fear, true freedom is found only in the truth of what Christ did for us. That's it. Jesus doesn't save us. Jesus doesn't come on that rescue mission for us. We're still slaves. That's it. We're still slaves if it wasn't for him. This should liberate you in knowing this. I want you to see God as huge, as big, as really, really big. And yourself small. I want you to think about, not just for yourself, but for people that you know. Are you like these people? I don't make any assumption about the people in this room. I don't assume for one moment that every single person in this room has been set free. Not, 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 not anything. And so it comes back to this question is, are you like these Jews? They believe, but not in a saving way. They believe, and yet they don't really believe. And actually now they're going to get really angry if you keep reading the story. They're going to be really, they're really angry because Jesus is calling them out. Because they're placing their hope, they're placing their confidence in sinking sand. Abraham's our, Abraham's our, our father. We're good to go. I'm a good person. I'm Baptist. I'm, I'm whatever. I don't care. Christ alone is the only one that can set us free. And true freedom is only found in him. Nothing else. Nothing more. So as the band comes, I'd like to pray. Lord, we love you, and I thank you for doing what only you could do, for living the life we could not live and dying the death we should have died and paying the price we could not afford to pay. God, I pray that we would not take your word for granted, especially those of us who have been set free, that we wouldn't take your word for granted. So many of us do. We're like, oh, we're set free, so we don't need the word anymore. 
and we're stupid. I ask that you'd help those of us who neglect your word. For those of us who fight you all the time because we would rather define what truth is based on what we think it should be than the pages of your word. And Lord, if there are people in here who have their hope and confidence, much like these Jews who Jesus was talking to, placed in anything other than you, I pray that they would realize that. That they would feel so uncomfortable right now, so awkward right now, because I would rather them feel uncomfortable and awkward right now than walk out of this building thinking that they are secure, that they are safe, that they are freed, when that in reality is not true, nor has it taken place in their lives. And so I pray that perhaps for some people here tonight, hearing my voice or listening online, that you would do a miracle in their lives. And you would free them. Maybe, maybe for the first time ever from sin, death, Satan, and hell. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.